you this morning, and uh, what a privilege to have Nancy with us. Thanks for thanks for coming. Great to have you home for a bit, although I imagine that's home there as well. Um, it will be great to spend holidays with with your family as a, a rare a rare treat. Well, there are but two things in this world that last forever. My youth pastor reminded me of this: the souls of people and the word of God. Isaiah reminds us that the grass withers up and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. It also reminds us that the souls of men and women go on into eternity, either with Christ or without him. We're eternal. And so to invest in these two things is to invest in eternity, in God's word and in the lives of people. And uh, today we're going to talk about the latter of those, investing in one another, investing in the lives of people. And as I thought about this this week, I thought uh, of a big list of names of people who have invested in me, who have shaped me over the years. And uh, I'm not sure why I needed to write this down. Uh, Dennis and Beverly, those are my parents. Um, starting with them, they, they shaped me in a lot of ways. They introduced me to Jesus and taught me all kinds of other things. Uh, John and Virginia, my, my grandparents, they taught me about hospitality and hard work. Um, Jim Lovejoy, he would cram as many as 13 of us into his Honda Civic uh, to go to youth group as a kid. He had a big influence on me. Uh, Jack Reese, my sixth grade Sunday school teacher. Uh, Gary and Pat Cruz, who just modeled uh, generosity and kindness to our family. Mike and Dottie Applin, who were my junior high youth workers, who um, later became missionaries in Ireland. Jerry Reif, my youth pastor, who was just really instrumental in my life. He kind of took me under his wing. He saw potential and kind of fan, fanned that flame. Uh, Rolo Casipel and Craig Foster. I was a, maybe a sophomore, and he was a senior in high school. He had an impact on me. Ron Barnes, a professor in in college and undergrad, Craig and Kathy Schreiner, who, who mentored Heather and I, David Hollingsworth, some of you remember David, I spent uh, 10 years of Tuesday mornings with him in his office as he poured into my life, Ken Doan, in grad school, Dr. Mick Borsma and other professors, and Dr. Jeremy Clark, my most recent boss, so to speak, and senior pastor, Dennis Keating, and all these people have shaped in some way, who I am. They've nudged me closer to walking with Jesus. And then I started to think about the privilege I've had of investing in other people's lives. And I think of uh, Shelby and Phoebe and Caleb in my own house. There's one right there. Give props to Caleb back there. Um, being As a young and I was in high school, and I got to be a junior counselor for, uh, for kids at a camp. I could tell you stories about that, but not today. Uh, this squirrely group of seventh grade boys at Shadow Mountain when I was uh, uh, just a volunteer in the youth group there. An absolutely insane uh, summer of campers at Island Lake Christian Camps in Washington. And I think of Jake the Snake, we called him, and his buddies. Uh, Dan Brown from the youth group in Mira Mesa. Um, all the... The kids, who now are married with children, uh, from the First Baptist Church uh, youth group. Think of uh, Luke and Anna Potter at the orchard. 
and uh, Mateus and his buddies in Albania uh, when I got to go over there. Uh, Kenny and his crew at the Emmanuel Faith uh, core group. And more recently, Glenn and Nikki and Ed and Greg and Jana, and the names can go on. And here I am, kind of stuck in the middle. Those who invested in me, those who I've had a chance to be part of their lives. And I thought, this is in many ways the essence of what we're supposed to be doing. This is the essence of the Great Commission, to uh, be a follower of Jesus who nurtures along followers of Jesus, and to be about that. It's the main thing. It's the main thing, is investing in people. Investing in people is investing in eternity. But how do we do it? I know that I've done a lousy job a lot of times at investing in people. And we're going to look at a passage today that gives us some really great parameters, some ideas, some best practices for how to best spend our lives investing in others. And this starts a series in the book of First Timothy, which will be in for, for a number of weeks. And uh, I've been pretty excited about it. I've been kind of studying it devotionally for, for a while, and then it's going to be just a real privilege to, to together um, to look at this with you. So I'm just going to catch up my phone to this screen. We'll see. It's going to happen. So the whole book um, is really about, uh, about life in the church. And uh, we could say the theme of the whole book of 1 Timothy is doing church as God intended. You know, he has an idea of how this is supposed to work, and it's his, and so we're going to pay attention to that. But uh, in fact, some summary, um, summary passage in the whole book of 1 Timothy is in chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. It says this. I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So in other words, Paul's telling Timothy, uh, I'm writing these things so you know how church is supposed to work, and so you can teach that to other people. But today, as we kind of skim the whole book, we're going to ponder this thought. To invest in people is to invest in eternity, because this whole book besides talking about the church, is a role model, an example of how Paul invested in Timothy. And he did it in a masterful way, and he did it like the master uh, showed us as well. And so we're going to learn several things. We're going to learn five best practices, so to speak, of how to invest, to mentor, to disciple another person. So here, just by way of introduction, we're going to look at these first two verses and and to get to know the characters of the book. And it starts out this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So the book is from Paul. Paul is a, an apostle, a, a sent one literally of Jesus himself. Paul was headed one direction, totally in opposition to Christ, and the Lord met him, changed him 180 degrees, and now he's a, a church planter. Now he's, he's pouring into other people. Now he's taking the gospel to, to new realms, to the, to the great beyond. They hadn't made it to Bangladesh yet, but they're kind of broaching into Europe a bit. And the verse 2 says this, To Timothy, 
my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And isn't that what we all need is grace, mercy, and peace. So here's the two characters, Paul, he's writing to Timothy, and he calls him his true child in the faith. Um, Paul obviously had a big impact in his life, and he may have led him to the Lord, how he calls him his child in the faith. And uh, in in any case, he's a very dear companion of Paul. In fact, uh, Timothy uh, joined him on several of his missionary adventures. He he co-wrote, or at least least some of the books that Paul wrote are, are from Timothy as well. And so they were companions in ministry. Um, Timothy is obviously very dear to Paul. So picture this. The end of Paul's life, he's invested so much. He's had all these crazy experiences. The opposition is growing. Things are escalating. And his mind turns to the things most dear to him, to the churches he's planted, and to people like Timothy that he's invested in. And so we kind of see a bit of Uh, What's closest to Paul's heart, and how does he pass that on to Timothy? How do we, in our relationships with our kids or our grandkids or just uh, people we meet in the church and people in our lives, how do we best point them toward Jesus? How do we invest in them in such a way that uh, it's life-transforming, that it that it is reflected in eternity. And uh, here's five things I'd like to suggest this morning. First of all, how you can best invest in people, and it starts in a surprising place. We invest in people by exposing our own stories. We open a door and get real with other people, and that opens a door for authenticity in return. Okay, I don't intend for you to keep up with these passages today because we'll be jumping all around 1 Timothy because this is by way of introduction to the book um, before we, before we you know, plod through it over these next weeks. So I'm going to jump right to verse 12 to 15 of chapter 1, and it says this. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service or his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So Paul, apostle, a big name in the early church, very respected, he does not uh, start off his mentoring of Timothy by telling Timothy how Paul has it all figured out and how he did it the best way and how he's such a great guy and he's a masterful whatever. Instead, he starts off by making it clear to Timothy, hey, this is where I came from. I did some really terrible things. You know, blaspheme, that's a, that's a capital crime. Um, persecution of the church, think uh, terrorism. You know, Paul was in total opposition to the love of Christ. He was a religious uh, fanatic, but without the love of the Lord in his heart. And so Paul freely admits this to Timothy. He has not arrived. And I noticed in uh, the, the end of that verse that we just looked at, 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, amen, of whom I am the foremost. And the Greek is almost, it's emphatic there. It's like, I myself am being right now the foremost of sinners. This still, you know, this still marks me. This is, this is the person, these are the things I did. I can't just erase that from my record, even though they're completely forgiven by Christ. So he hasn't arrived. And uh, he makes this clear in Philippians 3. He says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. This is Paul speaking again. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm not still living there, and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Real important thing. As we share about our lives, we might tell stories of where we've been and where we're headed. Uh, the story is not about you. You're not, you're not the hero of the story. The point isn't to say how bad you were. It's also not to say how good you were. It's to say, as Paul did, how great Christ is. It says that Christ in his grace overflowed the love of Christ Jesus. The point is that in my own self, I, I'm a mess. And that's actually played out in some real tangible, terrible ways. But look at what Jesus has done. That's a, that's a hero story. And that's the kind of stories we, we could tell in our lives. So as you share about your life, make God the hero. But don't be afraid to be, to be vulnerable, to get, get real with each other. Brene Brown, she wrote a whole book on this topic of vulnerability And she says this real succinctly. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. Courage is contagious. When we open that door to somebody else, it gives them the courage to open the door. And now we're talking about real things together. We're not just pretending, I'm okay, you're okay, kind of sliding along, showing up to church, going home, and then inside it's not okay. But instead, we open that door to get authentic. I never will forget this, um, this time when I was in high school, and our regular pastor was not preaching for whatever reason. They had one of the uh, assistants or associate pastors uh, teach that day, and I'll call him Bob for the sake of anonymity. And uh, I, I still remember the title of his message. It was The Confessions of Bob, you know, not his real name. He used his real name. And uh, it, you never know what's going to happen when you have a, a youth or associate pastor preach. Um, I've been in that spot. And uh, so Bob got up and he, and he told this story of how he had been out for a run. He was jogging in the park. And he saw these kids. Uh, they were kind of messing around. They looked guilty. And they, they were hiding something. And so he goes and engages with them. And, uh, and he finds that they have a pornographic magazine. And so he knew they didn't need that. So he confiscated it and went to go find a dumpster as he's running off. And when he gets to the dumpster, the allure of that grabbed a hold of him, and before tossing it in, he looked at all those pictures in the magazine. And so picture this, a church like this, a very established church, a very conservative church, and to, to share that in that group of people was very courageous. And you could hear a pin drop. There were, you know, it was silence except for the, the gasps. And at the end, he got up and he just invited people, if you know, if they had to do business with the Lord, to come forward. 
And, and I remember the, the suits coming forward, the, these, uh, these just few brave men that uh, were really significant um, kind of pillars in the church. They came forward and, uh, and were weeping before the Lord because they too had fallen into the same sin. And if, uh, if Bob didn't get real and lay it all out there, these guys would have never got real. And they would have just been, you know, hiding, pretending things are okay, and going on their merry way, being eaten up inside. So all that's to say is that Paul lays out this example of, hey, if we want to influence people, we need to, to crack open this <laughs> and, and let ourselves be, be known. Um, it's scary, but that's where revival starts. So if you're going to make a real difference, you better be willing to get real. But we don't stop there. Second best practice. We want to change the world by investing in eternity, by investing in people. And the best way we can do that, expose our own story, but also invest in people by encouraging. And I, I'd like to explain a little bit about that word because it can mean a lot of different things. We find a version of that in, in the third verse of the book. And he says, um, as I urged you, in that, that word sometimes translated encouraged, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That word is parakleo, and it's a, you know, obviously it's a Greek word, and it literally means to, uh, to call uh, alongside. It's like you come into somebody's life and you're for them. You lift them, you exhort them, encourage them, admonish them. You... In essence, you give them courage, courage to go on, courage to do what's right, courage to stand. Sometimes to give somebody courage means you hold their hand, and sometimes it means to kick their tail. Um, Both, I think, are encapsulated in that word, parakaleo, which this whole book is an example of that. Um, I mentioned some of these absolutely insane campers, stories for other times, at uh, Island Lake Christian Camp. So one of the fun things I got to do at that camp was uh, work the high ropes course. And uh, so uh, part of that was this big zip line that went over a canyon. And so I would be clipped in, standing at the, the platform uh, where they launch off of. Anyone zip line before? Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. But that first step is kind of, oh, it's breathtaking. So... Um, so there was kind of art to it, and I didn't, I didn't really master it, but, but started to get the feel for it. Some kids, they need uh, this real comfort. Um, they need to, you know, be kind of held. And see, hold the tree. See, it's real firm. You know, this thing, a thousand people have gone across this, and you're going to be fine, and you just, you know, give them all the warm fuzzies. And, and other kids just seem to operate different. You're like, hey, all your friends just did this, and if you don't do this, if you turn around and walk back, you know, the rest of your life, you're going to be the one that looked at adventure and quit and went home. So, you know, I didn't give that speech very often, but, you know, some people respond that way as well. So, in life, you know, somebody we know, we love, they're struggling, sometimes it takes a real prayerful sensitivity to know whether they need the hug or the, or the kick, but they're both from the Lord. I was finishing school. Uh, seminary. It was a long road, um, six years or something like that. And I was coming down to the end, and 
and somewhere along the lines in seminary, I realized the art of you look at the syllabus and find out how much assignments are worth so you know where to put your efforts and, and whatever. And so I realized I had one big project left, this paper. And I went and I did all the math, looked at all my assignments and my grades, and discovered I can pass that class without doing that paper. Barely. I'd get a C, which was the lowest you could get for that, that course, and, uh, and I'd be done. You know, I was looking future, I'm done. I already was coming on staff uh, full-time at the church I was at, etc. cetera. And, uh, and, and my boss, I, you know, I told him this story, and he's like, no, just finish strong, Josh. You, you could do this. You got this. And just that little nudge was all I needed to like, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I will probably regret that if I just don't do that paper at all, um, even though I think I could pull that off without it. And it was that nudge I, I needed. So sometimes we need that and sometimes the hug. That's encouraging. That's giving courage to another person. That's the best practice of investing in eternity is coming alongside, entering somebody's life, and giving them the courage to move forward, to move on. But to move on where and how and to do what, what do we emphasize? By emphasizing the most important things in life. We invest by emphasizing the main things, the core things. Uh, As you skim through this letter from uh, Paul to Timothy, here's the kinds of things that he mentions don't, don't try to write these all down. If you're really curious, just read the book, or you can ask me later, and I'll give you all these, but I'm just going to rattle them off. Verse 3, stay true to God's word, core thing. Verse 5, love from a pure heart. Verse 15, stay centered on the gospel, the good news that Christ came to save sinners. Verse 19, stay true to the faith. The second chapter, make prayer a priority. Paul says, first of all, pray. Chapter 3, be a person of character. Again in chapter 3, take care of your family. Chapter 4, be devoted to the ministry that God's called you to. Verse five, or chapter 5, care for people. Chapter 6, Timothy, check your own motives. Make sure they are pure. So as you invest in people, think about these kinds of things. You know, you, you might be coming alongside somebody to, uh, to tutor them, let's say. Maybe you're tutoring them in, in math. But what you're really doing is tutoring them in diligence, in character, etc. You, you might be uh, helping somebody out that has some financial struggles, and you're giving maybe some financial uh, counsel or some financial help. But really what you're doing is you're teaching them about trust and about generosity and about stewardship. So you bring it back to the core, the central, central things, and focus on those. A freshman in high school, I had this assignment to make a family tree. It was a major assignment in this class. And I honestly probably worked on that harder than anybody in the class. I did all this, uh, not that that was totally characteristic of me, but um, so I put all this effort into all this research, research, trying to figure out my family tree, and did this big thing, turned it in, and I got a C. And uh, the reason is, I didn't follow the directions. I was supposed to do it in pen, and I did it in pencil. And even though I may have worked harder than anybody else, I, I didn't focus on the right thing, and I just barely, you know, it was barely a passing assignment. Um, we don't want to be that way in our relationships with people, where we 
focus so much on our efforts of trying to shape them in certain ways, but not on the main things. And what obviously comes to mind is, is the way we, we parent our, our kids. You know, we focus so hard. We want our kids to, you know, be good students so they could get a good scholarship and go to a good school and get a good job so they could live the good life. And uh, somewhere along the line, we missed the heart of it, is that they would be in love with Jesus wherever they, they fall in life in those other things. Are those other things important? Yeah, sure they are. But they, not in comparison with the main things, these things up here on the screen. As you invest in each other, in the youth, in younger Christians, whoever bring, God brings into your life, focus on the main thing. Okay, number four. Invest in people by empathizing. So you might have caught on now that these all start with E. And uh, this is not really a forte of mine to make uh, everything uh, start with the same letter, but it just happened this time. So anyway, invest in people by empathizing. Uh, Genuinely care for one another. Nobody wants to be a project, right? Uh, the book starts out like this, as does the second book that Paul wrote to Timothy. It says, my true child in the faith, and in, and in the second book, uh, he says to Timothy, my beloved child. In other words, Paul treats uh, Timothy like family, like dear child family. Timothy's not just a project of Paul's. He's like family. Um, there's an interesting verse that we'll, we'll come across later that says, he gives this advice to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And I think Paul's saying here, like, Timothy, I notice you, you're not, your health is a concern to me. I've noticed you're not doing well. You know, take care of yourself. Take your medicine. Um, it's this noticing, caring, thinking about other people. When we invest, slow down ask questions, pay attention. People are not projects. So you come to somebody and you see, oh, this person has these issues and I want to, you know, shape them more to be like Jesus. And uh, without stopping to think, oh, this is why it's so hard for them to, to live in a godly way. It's because, man, they have this huge thing that they're going through. Be merciful, pay attention. It's what Jesus did. I love this in John uh, 11. Mary and Martha's brother died. And uh, Jesus was about to blow their minds with one of the most dramatic uh, illustrations ever. He was going to raise a human from the dead. And he was going to do it to show that he has power over death and that he himself is the resurrection. So Jesus is setting this up for the most mind-blowing teaching moment ever. But what does he do first? Everybody knows that already. He says this, John eleven thirty-three to 38. When Jesus saw her, uh, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. The king of the universe, deeply moved. And he was greatly, what? 
He was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then what does he do, Jesus? He wept. He sobbed. So much that the Jews there that were there watching him, they said, see how he loved him. They could tell visibly that Jesus was moved with compassion. Then again, Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. Jesus had an epic teaching moment coming. He's like, wait for it. But before he gets there, he slows down. He feels. He weeps. He cares. He loves. And that's what we need to do as well. To empathize. So, you've opened your life up. You've kind of exposed your own heart. You've come alongside. You give courage. You're trying to stick with the main things, emphasizing what's eternal. You empathize. You care. You feel. But don't stop there. A lot of us stop there. Because this next part is scary, is that we entrust. We hand over to those people that we're investing in. There comes a time where we pass the baton. We put, we put big things in little people's hands, so to speak. Um, we already mentioned how uh, Timothy was, was young. He calls him my child, my beloved child. In, in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, let no one despise your youth. Like, Timothy, don't look, let people look down on you just because you're young. And so all this shows, you know, this is, this is a relatively young guy. So Paul takes what is absolutely most precious to him, these, uh, these uh, new churches that have been planted and, uh, and the gospel message, and he places this whole thing in little Timmy's hands. Here you go, Tim. And uh, he, he entrusts Timothy with uh, establishing the leadership in the churches, of keeping pure doctrine in the churches, of the distribution of funds to needy people, um, dealing with really difficult situations. Uh, he entrusts Timothy with all of these things. He says uh, in chapter 1, verse 18, This I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. In chapter 6, he says, Oh, Timothy, guard this deposit that was entrusted to you. This whole thing, guard it, because I'm, I'm giving it to you. In, in the second book of Timothy, his second letter, he says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard this good deposit that was entrusted to you. And uh, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that to faithful men. Hand it over. Entrust. Entrust. When we invest in others, we have to relinquish control. Right? And this is what's been happening generation after generation. There's a passing on. There's a passing on of what's most dear. Um, has anyone read Dr. Robert Coleman's little book, The Master Plan of Evangelism? Few people have. Well, the book's only this big, but I have the abridged version, which is only this big. Um, and it's a, it is a gym. And uh, what Dr. Coleman does is go through the life of Jesus and kind of pick out his strategy for how he did this very thing, how he invested in people. And uh, he, he makes it into a whole bunch of steps. Think of Jesus' disciples. Here's what Jesus did. He says, selection, you know he chose these guys. Association, he spent time with them. Consecration, he set them apart for this task. I'm not intending you for, 
for you to grab all of this, but just get the gist of it. Um, impartation, you know, he taught and gave them himself and gave them the tools they needed. Demonstration, he showed them how to do it. It's like, hey, watch this. Delegation is what we're talking about right now is that handing over, entrusting them. And then he'd supervise, he'd, he'd watch, and then ultimately uh, reproduction where they would go on to make disciples. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And along the line, we're part of that. We're part of that same chain. Here, here's just a few comments from, from that little book. He says, Jesus was always building his ministry for the time when his disciples would have to take over his work. That's what we're doing too. Another good comment. Like a mother eagle teaching her young to fly by pushing them out of the nest, Jesus pushed his disciples out into the world to try their own wings. And here he's talking about in Mark 6 when Jesus sent them out. It's like, here, I've given you what you need. Fly. Here's one more. It is our business then to see to it that those with us, you know, that we are investing in, are given something to do that requires the best that is in them. Not some, you know, token little task, but the best that is in them. Um, One more story. When I was in high school, I tell stories about high school, but trust me, high school was not my glory days. I was kind of an awkward kid. But anyway, um, when I was in high school, uh, our church had this uh, summer-long program that was like a discipleship mission experience where we went and did a lot of service projects and spent a week in Mexico. And one week was spent in the mountains of Idaho um, ministering in these little towns where there was no uh, real evangelical church at all. Um, it was predominantly um, a, a Mormon area, and there wasn't even enough of a church to, to host us, uh, to interact with. So the group would camp out in the mountains, and during the day, they would drive the bus, you know, the hour or whatever, into town and hold these, uh, these clubs for the kids. And uh, so this was the plan. My youth pastor came to me, you know, this is, I'm a uh, junior in high school, and he says, can you uh, take care of the meals for this trip? So this is maybe 30 or 40 people in the wilderness with antique uh, Coleman stoves. So this kid is, uh, is planning, purchasing, and preparing the meals for these people out in the, in the wilderness. The, the food was memorable. Uh, <laughs> They were, they were a gracious bunch. I do remember the, the burnt beans. But, um, but the lesson was even more memorable of uh, entrusting such a, what felt like such a huge thing uh, to me. It spoke volumes, and, and that's what we do. We, we, uh, we love people. We open up our lives to them. We focus on the main things, and then we, we got to hand it over. We got to hand it to the next person. Final verse. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2. yeah, I'm trying to cover a whole book, and now I've jumped into the next one, so I know. It says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And notice there are about five like, generations of discipleship here. Paul received this from Jesus. Jesus passes to Paul. 
Paul passes it to Timothy. Timothy is instructed to teach this to faithful men who will teach others. Five generations there, and on and on and on. And that's how you and I know about the gospel. Because somebody passed it on to somebody else, passed it on to somebody else, passed it on to somebody else. And uh, God continues to build his church and carry out his mission to the ends of the earth. And sometimes it's as simple as just, you know, spending some time with a kid and, and paying attention to how he, he or she hurts and what uh, pointing him or her to Jesus. Sometimes it's going to outrageously foreign lands and, and doing outrageous ministry in a, in a whole other field. But it's all part of the same thing of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And what an honor and a privilege to be part of that. So I'm going to pray in a moment, but I want you to think about who is your Paul and who is your Timothy? Who are you looking to, to, uh, to glean from and who are you investing in? And for those who like to fill in all the blanks, start investing in eternity today. Uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for those who you have brought into my life. And I'm also so thankful for those you've allowed me to have just a little part of their life as well. And uh, thank you for this book of 1 Timothy and a model of, of passing on the faith. May we grab a hold of that and learn from that. And as we look around at each other to think, wow, that's something I could learn from that person. And, and here's a way I can invest in that person. Lord, may our lives be about making disciples who make disciples. And I pray this in Christ's precious name, amen.